What's up? Good morning. So I get to try to follow them. Um, that's not fun, by the way, because they're good. I stand back there when they're doing sound check, and I'm just like, they're so talented. Like, I can play the radio sometimes if I'm driving in the right direction because I have XM, and if I'm driving in the wrong direction, for whatever reason, my satellite doesn't pick up. And so you'll be jamming out to a song, singing along, and all of a sudden it goes away and you hear yourself. That's why we sing in the shower, because we can't hear ourselves from the water coming. You know, we, we all sound better in the shower. Hey, crazy Bible. There are some things in the Bible that are just absolutely crazy. Um, I spent a number of years as a youth pastor, and I have some stories that are absolutely crazy. You can't make this stuff up. I promise. For example, several years ago, I'm at a hotel in San Antonio, Texas, putting on a conference for about 3,000 students. I'm responsible for different areas of this conference, and we get there a day early, and we go to this hotel, and it's late at night. And I've told the kids to go to bed because, you know, they all mind the youth pastor. This kid comes and knocks on our door. We open the door, and he comes hobbling in on one foot, hopping, tears coming out of his eyes. He's crying, bawling. It's his first youth trip. Seventh grade kid, and I say, dude, what happened? And he says, I don't know what that means. I didn't get that gift. Some of y'all get that later. But anyway, I get to look and there's blood pouring out of the foot that he's not standing on. It's like 11.30 at night. Finally, we get him calmed down and the kid says, I went to the exercise room. If you knew this kid, that would have been the first problem. He doesn't exercise. I went to the exercise room and I got on the elliptical and I was going on the elliptical, and I've never used one before. And I was barefoot. And I didn't know that when I picked my foot up off of the platform, if I didn't let go of the handle, it would shove the handle forward, and the flat iron that connected the handle to the pedal on the cheap motel, because let's be honest, they're not professional grade, came like between his big toe and his, little, and his next toe, and it almost cut his toe off. And so I go downstairs because i got to go to the desk to find out where the nearest hospital is to take this kid and get his foot sewed up before I call his mom. <laughs> got to make sure we can save the foot first. And as I go downstairs, I walked down. i got this thing about elevators. I don't like them. And so I walked down the stairs, and literally, it was like someone had shot a deer and was tracking it through the woods. The kid hopped down the hall. There's blood pouring everywhere. I just followed the trail all the way to the front desk. I got back. I said, dude, why didn't you use the elevator? He said, I thought it'd bleed too much in the elevator. So you hobbled down the hall? I mean, you look like a deer that somebody's, I mean, that's one story. We get to the hospital. The doctor looks at us and says, yeah, there's really not much we can do about it. Um, Try to keep it clean. They bandage him up. The next day, we go to Fiesta, Texas in San Antonio, and we get out there, and I tell the kid, hey, you probably should wear tennis shoes and socks, you know, to keep it clean. Oh, no, this kid, fashion statement, wears Crocs. At the end of the day, his foot was as black as this stage. I said, do you think it's going to get infected? I said, well, it might not have fell off last night, but once gangrene sets in... That was a pretty fun story, crazy story, but here's another one. I take a group of 55 high school students to Dallas, Texas a few years ago from Memphis, which might have been my first mistake. 
But we go to Dallas and, and we go to Hurricane Harbor one day and I've told my kids, behave. You know, I'm that guy that I come across as the jerk, the hard-nosed youth pastor. I'm like, I'm telling you, I got an envelope right here with bus tickets home. If you act up, I'm, I'm sending you home. It was an empty envelope. I'm walking through Hurricane Harbor enjoying life. It's the end of the week. We've been on a mission trip. Things are great. I hear over the loudspeaker, will Grady McDonald please come to security? Which I'm thinking, which one is it? One of my students decided that it would be a great idea at the top of one of those slides at the water park. Apparently, when the story gets told, he and the lifeguard had been splashing each other with water, and he told her, if you splash me again, you're going down the slide with me. She splashed him again, and she went down the slide with him. Security didn't find that nearly as funny as we did. So I get to security, and this kid is standing there with his hands behind his back. I can't do that. I'm not flexible. If I ever get arrested, it's going to be bad. Anyway, he's standing there with his hands behind his back. It looks like he's getting arrested, and he has talked to the sweet security guard. Like, they're fixing to throw my 55 group out. But he's talked to the security guard to the point that she just says, listen, he's a really good kid, and he's hilarious. If you'll just make him stay with you the rest of the day, I won't kick y'all all out. Like, cool, come on, let's go, let's go hang out. That's pretty fun, but here's the, the story, perhaps, that tops all stories. I went fishing. Because as a youth pastor, you need a vacation, and they tell me that fishing is supposed to be relaxing. Anybody else in here fish? I don't anymore. I went fishing. I was on a stream in southeast Oklahoma, trout fishing. And I went to move, and I had to go up and around this brush pile and come back down. And when I went up and around and went to go back down, the rocks gave out underneath my foot. One leg slid, the other leg did not. As this leg passed my ear on my way down, and I heard a Rice Krispie effect, you know, snap, crackle, and pop, I slid all the way down and landed in the river. The water was cold, so I laid there for a minute and thought, okay, I'll be all right. Started feeling. I had my phone. I wasn't supposed to have my phone. I was under strict orders to not have my phone. Then I somehow had service. Made a phone call. I said, hey, I've broken my leg. I'm going to need somebody to come get me. First thing out of the person's mouth I called was, why do you have your phone? Not, are you going to live? But why do you have your phone? So then it gets better. Then I realized they don't know how to find where I am on the river, so I have to hike back out on this broken leg that's in, like, Anybody got weak stomachs? I had to stop two times to put my foot back under my leg on the way out. They tell you to go fishing because it'll relax you. You know how hard it was to call my pastor who was my boss and say, Hey, um, I got a little problem. What happened? I broke my leg. How'd you break your leg? Fishing? That's like almost as bad as somebody dating their cousins. Anyway, there's just some things that are crazy you can't make them up. Well, in the Bible, there's some things that are crazy that you can't make up. And one of the things that we're going to look at today that's crazy and you can't make up, I can't believe Gary trusted me to kick a series off. One of the things that's crazy that you just can't, doesn't make sense to us because we don't, we don't think that way a lot of times is the idea of grace. 
When you think about grace, you think that grace is, it, we, we can't grasp how God could be gracious to us. If, if our sin offended him to such a degree that his son had to give his life to pay the penalty, how could he extend that to us? And so it's hard for us to, to fathom. And what tends to happen for us is we either tend to lean to the grace side or we tend to lean to the justice side. You know, the side that says, oh no, you messed up, there's a penalty. As parents, we like that side, don't we? If your kid messes up, what do you like to tell them? You don't look at them and say, well, it's okay. I'm going to be gracious to you. What do you say? Boy, I told you to clean your room. Now you're grounded from your Xbox. Which is the worst thing in the world because now Fortnite is on mobile and they just go around playing it on their phones. That's like kids are sitting in the siblings sitting in one house. That one's playing Fortnite in that room. That one's playing Fortnite in the other room. You're like, what are you going to do? Gary talked about this the other day. Like, we're watching the same thing. Playing. Like, seriously? Like, human interaction? Anybody need that? So anyway, grace. We tend to emphasize one side or the other, but in the text that we're going to look at today, we see that there is grace and justice, and we're going to look at that in just a minute. So if you've got your Bibles, or, or they're going to throw it on the screen, John chapter 8 is this really cool story, and, and if you're a, a scholar, you'll read, and you'll find out that, that, it's, that some early manuscripts didn't contain this passage, but doesn't mean that it's not just as biblical because it is. So John chapter 8, beginning in verse 2, it's a very familiar passage. Most of us have heard it. Here it goes. At dawn he went to the temple again, and all the people were coming to him. He sat down and began to teach them. Before I go any further, hang on, a little free note here. At dawn he went to the temple again and began to teach them, and all the people were coming to them, were coming to him. You notice that everywhere Jesus goes, people wants to want to be around him. There's a reason for that. We're gonna look at that in just a minute and see what it is. Everywhere he went, people want to be around him. So at verse 3. Then the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery, making her stand in the center. They had to be Baptist. <laughs> Teacher, they said to him, this woman was caught in the act of committing adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? They asked this to trap him in order that they might have evidence to accuse him. Jesus stooped down and started writing on the ground with his finger. And when they persisted in questioning him, he stood up and said to them, The one without sin among you should be the first to throw a stone at her. Hmm. Then he stooped down again and continued writing on the ground. And when they heard this, they left one by one, starting with the older men. Only he was left with the woman in the center. And when Jesus stood up, he said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, Lord, she answered. Well, neither do I condemn you, said Jesus. Go, and from now on, do not sin anymore. Man, this, this, we could be here for a while. They asked me this morning, how long are you going to preach? And I said, well, I shoot for 30, but I'm typically around 40 to 45. And they said, well, you won't go as long as Gary. And I said, probably not. But if we unpack this entire thing, I'll probably go, you'll be begging for Gary. Let me just say it that way. Because there's a lot here. So let's look and see what we see about this idea of grace. Now, here's, here's what happens to kind of paint the picture. They catch this woman in the act of adultery. The question becomes, how did they catch her in the act of adultery? Isn't that funny that when we see people screwing up, we always want to throw stones. Or we have a tendency to want to throw stones. We want to throw stones at me or you when we mess up. But the question is, what are they doing to see us messing up? They're watching. What are they doing in their own set, with their own lives is the question, though, Right? And so they catch this woman, and the Bible is very clear that they bring her to Jesus with an, an attempt to trap him. And they said that in the law, Moses commanded that this woman be stoned, and, and they're exactly right. 
they're exactly right that in the law, Moses did command that those participating in adultery, both the man and the woman, were to be stoned. That is exactly right. They quoted that correctly. What they didn't go a little bit further and say was that since, the, since Israel was occupied and controlled by Rome, and Rome tried, didn't really like this whole idea of mob violence, that a lot of times men just got a divorce if there was unfaithfulness. So marital faithfulness was about as common then as it is now. Can I get an Amen. In other words, it wasn't as, we, we like to think that things were always good in the good old days, right? We like to go back to the good old days. How many of you have air conditioning in your home? I know that's one of the reasons that we don't have neighbor, we don't connect with our neighbors anymore from what we learned last week, but, one of the, but, but we have air conditioning. How many of you want to go back to the days you didn't have air conditioning? Right? Like, the truck that I drive, the air conditioner doesn't work in, and I, I need, like, three showers a day, because I don't perspire I sweat, right? And so I want my air conditioning fixed. Like I got in the car this weekend that had air conditioning and I was like, all of a sudden I got cold. I did not realize. It's been so long. But we have this tendency, so, they, so it wasn't as, as common to stone someone, but they like to bring that up and say, well, now the Old Testament, the law says that, that she should be stoned. What do you say? And Jesus, they, they were trying to trap him because here's the deal. If he says, no, we're not going to stone her, then he's breaking the law of Moses and they can accuse him. If he says, yes, we're going to stone her, then all this stuff he's taught about the kingdom of heaven coming doesn't make sense now either because he's just like the Pharisees and the scribes. And so we've got to figure out what, what, how's he going to answer this question. And what we see is that he answers this question the best way way he possibly can, he answers the question by not answering the question, by stooping down and beginning to write, and people want to know, what did he write, what did he, who knows what he wrote. The reality is, we don't need to know. God didn't think that we needed to know what he wrote, we need to know this. He paused before answering. Sometimes, have you ever noticed that we can get in trouble with our mouths? It's only been me? I'm the only guy who's ever done that? So, just to be, this is free, this isn't part of the sermon. When I was about 14, my mother loves it when I tell this story. So I tell it every time I can because it makes her happy. We all want to make mama happy. My mother told me one time, I might have been smarting off. I know it's hard for anybody to believe that a preacher would ever smart off at any point in his life. I might have been mouthing. And my mother said to me, if you say one more word, I'm going to pull this car over find a switch, and beat your blessed assurance with it. To which I said, yeah, right. We were in a 1978 Ford truck with no anti-lock brakes. She hit the brakes, my head hit the dash. It had rained the night before. And there was a tree limb, not a switch, a tree limb that big around on the side of the road. Before I could peel my forehead out of the dash, she had put it in park, jumped out, got around, grabbed that tree limb, opened the door, and was yanking me out. And she commenced to swinging. And I commenced to dancing. But that tree limb was rotten. So every time it hit me, it broke. I thought I could get away because the limb kept getting shorter and shorter. Oh, no, 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 no. She kept twisting my arm and drew me in to where she was hitting me with a nub. Yep. 
Some of y'all going to wonder, did it keep you from mouthing off again? Nope. But our mouths can get us in trouble. Jesus paused before he answered the question, and he stooped down and he began to write. And who knows what he wrote, but what we do know is that when he began, when he began to speak, he said, you who are without sin, you can throw the first stone. And then the scripture tells us that the men, the older men, began one by one to leave until there was no one left but him with her. Now, who knows what he wrote, but we do know this. They tried to say, are you going to ex extend grace or are you going to uphold the law, the justice system? What they misunderstood was that they thought that grace and justice were mutually exclusive. Get this, grace and justice are not mutually exclusive. They are both part of the character of who God is. If you didn't have grace and justice, grace wouldn't look near as good as it does. Here's the reality. This morning I got up and I chose to wear this shirt. I had another shirt that I could have worn, but I chose to wear this shirt. Therefore, I rejected the blue shirt that I was going to wear. Okay, some of you are thinking we should have worn blue. Well, I mean, that's your opinion. But I, I rejected one. But grace and justice are more like a $20 bill. I would have said 100 but let's be honest. Most of us don't see hundreds very often. Because nobody takes them anymore. They can't break them. On the one side of the $20 bill, you have the picture of the president. On the back side, you have whatever the back side of it says. I don't know. I don't see them very often either. But you've got two sides. Now, if, you only, if, if someone went to a copy machine and they ran off a copy of the front and a copy of the back and they, tried to, and they cut it and made it fit and then they gave you only one side, what would you have? A counterfeit. When we only emphasize grace or we only emphasize justice as the character of God, we're not accurately representing God. Instead, we're representing a counterfeit that fits what we want. We've made God in our own image instead of us being created to live in His image. So grace and justice are not mutually exclusive. Aren't you thankful that God is extending grace to us through Christ? Now, here, here's how they're not mutually exclusive. The Bible clearly says that there is a penalty that must be paid for sin. And that penalty is death. You can go all the way back to the Garden of Eden when, when, when Adam and Eve were told not to eat of the tree because if they ate of the tree, they would what? Surely die. So they ate of the tree and death entered the world. And then you get over into Romans and Paul's outlining this, this, this legal case, if you will. And he says, for the wages of sin, the penalty of sin, what you earn for sin is death. So there's a penalty that must be paid. But here's, here's where we get it all jacked up in church culture. You ready for this? We think that I have to pay for my sin and you have to pay for your sin when the Bible tells us quite clearly that Jesus has already paid and satisfied the penalty for all sin. And so what we do when we, when we want to focus on justice over grace is we make the mistake of functionally denying the sufficiency of Christ. In other words, it means this. He paid the debt in full. He paid the debt in full. And so they're not mutually exclusive. And when we realize that he paid the debt in full and that the justice requirement has been met in his death, then when we realize that, it makes us a whole lot happier about grace. It makes us a whole lot more excited about the fact that we've received grace because they're not mutually exclusive. I once heard a pastor say this. I, I would prefer legalism over liberalism because it, liberalism might lead to license to sin, whereas legalism would help you stay closer to God. Can I tell you, that's like saying I prefer horse manure over cow manure. Both of them are still manure. 
Listen to me. The Pharisees and scribes who came to Jesus thought that the upholding the law, they were doing exactly what they needed to do to have a good standing with God. But Paul says in the book of Galatians that no one is ever made right with God by keeping the law. The law wasn't given to make us right with God. The law was given to show us how jacked up we are and how much in need of God's grace we are. That's why the law was given, to show us our sinfulness. If no one ever told you that it was wrong to murder someone, how would you know that you shouldn't murder someone? Some of y'all probably shouldn't answer that. They're not mutually exclusive. They work hand in hand. They're in a symbiotic relationship with one another. So grace and mercy. So what does that mean for you and me? It means that instead of us focusing on the fact, and y'all know this happens, come on now, we like to focus at times on someone else's sin and not our own. Y'all ever notice that? And we want them to receive justice, but we want to receive what? Grace. Man, I, that person did wrong, and they need to suffer, and they need to pay, and they need to blah, 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 blah. And then somebody looks at you and said, yeah, but what about when you did blah, blah, blah? Well, that's different. Because what we start trying to do at that point is justify why we did what we did, don't we? The reality is, that person who we want to see them receive justice, they need grace just as much as you and I do. You say, well, Grady, if we extend grace, isn't that giving people freedom to continue to sin? Absolutely not. What we have a tendency to do is want to extend justice to people or offer justice to people. And when we offer justice without also offering grace, what we're offering is condemnation and not life. Grace and justice are not mutually exclusive. They work together. Jesus has already paid the penalty. He's already satisfied the legal requirements. And then grace is extended so that we can have his life. That's a good thing, that they work hand in hand. Well, not only are they not mutually exclusive, but grace looks in before it looks out. Grace looks in before it looks out. Look at what Jesus did. He stooped down, he started writing on the ground, and he said this. The one among you without sin should be the first to throw the stone." Grace looks in before it looks out. See, they were trying to judge and occupy the justice system. And what happens is Jesus says, no, 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 no. Let's look in. Because here's what, here's what Jesus knew. Jesus knew that the law that they were quoting, that this woman should be stoned, is also found in the same Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament. It's found in the same Torah where it says, where, where you're commanded not to have a malicious witness against someone. In other words, Jesus knew the intent of their heart was to trap him, and this woman just happened to be a pawn. She was going to be the recipient of malicious justice because they really didn't care about her sin near as much as they cared about trapping Jesus. And so they were breaking a law in themselves and even bringing her there. Plus, there's another question that gets brought up. What happened to the man? I don't want to have a lesson on animal husbandry. But it's my understanding, and I think I'm pretty accurate in this after having five children, that it takes two. If she was caught in the, in the act of committing adultery, then should there not have been someone else there with her? Right? And so what we see instead is they throw her in the middle. And so Jesus begins to write and says, You who are without sin cast the first stone. And what we're looking at is that Jesus is telling them to look at themselves before looking out. 
grace looks out. Jesus also knew this. Jesus also knew that, in, and he says it in Matthew 5, that we must be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. But listen, none of us are perfect. And so what he was saying is none of you are perfect, and so therefore you are not qualified to throw the stone. Who was the only person in this text qualified to throw the stone? Jesus, the one who paid the penalty anyway and knew he was going to pay the penalty. Grace looks in before it looks out, and it's crazy for us to, to think about that because when we look in, we, 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 we want to say things like this. Well, yeah, I got sin, but my sin's not as bad as... Y'all, I'm about... I don't know if y'all asleep or if it's me, but we're about to wake up. Because I'm going to say something. I'm sick and tired of hearing denominational and Christian leaders get on television and talk about, or get on the newspaper or the radio and talk about the evils of of adultery and the evils of homosexuality and the evils of drug use and the evils of this while they weigh 400 pounds. I mean, I'm going to be honest with you. Guys, my sin of being obese only affects me. I heard... I heard the president of the nation's largest evangelical convention say this. If I was driving on the road late at night and it was raining and I was in the backwoods of Kentucky, I would rather meet drunk, fat Bubba on the side of the road coming at me than drunk Bubba on the side of the road coming at me because drunk Bubba might lose control of his car and come across and hit me. Well, fat Bubba might have a heart attack, homie. The reality is we, we, when we prefer one sin over another sin, we're not extending grace and we're not, uh, uh, we're not advocating for justice. We're just saying, hey, don't judge me because my sin's different than yours. And we're saying, oh, my sin's okay and your sin's not. But grace looks in before it looks out. People always want to say, well, the passage in Scripture says, don't judge for the same measure that you judge by, you shall also be judged by. And they say, well, that means that I can judge you. If I'm not a homosexual, I can judge your homosexual lifestyle. You... No, it doesn't. It means when you apply the justice system to someone for whom the sin debt has already been paid, that can also be applied to you. That's exactly what it means. Grace looks in before it looks out. Can I tell you that right now, we want to know why 50% of evangelical churches could close their doors today and never open them again. You want to know why that is? Oh, because we're living in perilous times, preacher. We're living in times where people don't want to hear the truth, preacher. No, baloney. We're living in times where people already know that they've got jacked up lives and they don't need to go to church to be berated and put down and castigated because of the jacked up sin in their life. They go to church because they need grace and they need life and they need hope and they need somebody who will reach out to them and say, there's a better way. That's why people are turning their back on Christ and turning their back on the church because we're looking out and we refuse to look in. If I go to a doctor and my doctor weighs 400 pounds and he tells me that I need to lose 20 more pounds, or if I catch him on a smoke break, I don't know about y'all, I'm going somewhere else. Why do we think we don't get to be the same way in the church? Right? Grace looks in before it looks out. Grace says, how can I clean my life up? How can I get the beam out of my eye so I can help get the speck out of your eye? Grace looks in before it looks out. And unfortunately, we have this idea where we think it's our responsibility to present to Jesus a pure, 
church, a pure bride, if you will, can I tell you something? It is in no place ever my responsibility or your responsibility to present to Jesus a pure and undefiled bride. It's his job to sanctify his people. Because when we try to step in and do that, once again, we're functionally denying his sufficiency. We're saying he's not good enough and we can do it better ourselves. Seriously. Wait, Jesus, you can't pay, I can't pay my own sin debt, so I'm going to take your gift of salvation. But when it comes to keeping your church clean, I got you, Jesus. You know what Jesus tells us? Sit down. I'm going to do what I came to do. Grace looks in before it looks out. Well, then when we look at this and we see that it continues to go on, and we see this, grace radically changes those who have received it. Grace radically changes. Listen to me. In this text, this woman, when she was taken to the temple by the Pharisees and the scribes, this woman thought she was going to her death. She was a dead man walking when she was taken to the temple. She was dead. But hear me. When Jesus stood up after riding... And after saying, you who, without sin, should throw the first stone. And he stands up, and he looks at her and says, woman, where are your accusers? There's not any. When he said, neither do I condemn you, go and sin no more. She went from a dead man walking to a woman who had life that she could never have imagined she was going to have. Can I tell you that there are some of you in this place who you know what that's like because you've been at the bottom, you've been so far down you had to look up just to see down and you knew that there was no hope and your life was upside down and broken, it was shattered, it was destroyed, you've been on rock bottom and I'm not talking about catfish, you've been at the very bottom and then somebody told you about Jesus. Maybe they told you about Action Church where you, would, you could come dressed as you are and not be judged. i got to be honest. I came in last week, had a crazy thing last Sunday, got up looking for a pair of my shoes, couldn't find them. It really bothered me. I was looking for a certain pair of shoes, so I texted my oldest son. The problem with having an 18-year-old son is he and I wear the same size shoes, and he knows where I hide them. I texted him and said, hey, do you have such and such pair of shoes? Yeah, and I'm wearing them today. I had to come in last week wearing my Chacos. First of all, Chacos are the ugliest shoes in the entire world. They're almost as bad as Crocs. But secondly, some of y'all are going, I got ugly feet. I'm just going to be honest. I don't like my toes. And so, like, I'm walking around trying to, like, you know, curl my toes up under so nobody can see them. But listen to me. Maybe you've been to a place where you needed to go to a church where somebody wouldn't judge you for how you looked. So you came to Action Church. Somebody told you about this, this, this guy that's a little crazy, has ADD so bad that he can't even get to the second D. I have ADDD. It's attention deficit disorder deliberately. Maybe they told you about this 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 guy who's pastoring a church who his life wasn't perfect either. and So you came and you heard and you heard about Christ and you realized, man, that, that, they're different there. 
Maybe you listened to what was being said. Instead of thinking that you were being judged, you could block all that junk out and you could hear. And you came to a place where you went from being a dead man walking to someone who found life because somebody extended grace to you and it radically changed you. Man, I look at the Bible and I see that the Bible is replete with examples of people who received grace and it radically changed them. I look at David who sinned with Bathsheba and David, that was adultery. David was the king. Kings were not exempt from the law. David should have been killed. But as a result, the Bible says that God has taken away your sin. You will not die. The child will die. You will not die. The sword will never leave your house. David had, David had consequences for his sin. Don't miss out what I'm saying. But his life radically changed because David went from a guy who was the king, who, was somewhere, who, who wasn't where he should have been when he should have been at war, and he sinned. And as a result, he, he got too, thought too highly of himself to when we see David after that, we don't see David sinning. Instead, we see David writing the Psalms where he worships, where he says things like, you are my king, amazing love, how can it be? I mean, I sat back there and I listened to that old school song, and thanks, Phil, you made me feel old, because um, the guy who wrote that song I, is, a, an, a, I won't say friend, I'll just say he's an acquaintance of mine, and we sat and talked, because he likes to trout fish, and so we had to talk about my broken leg story. Yeah, he thought it was funny too, thanks. <laughs> Laughing at my pain. See how y'all gonna be? Uh-huh. But listen to me, David was radically changed. Then I look at a guy like Matthew. Matthew, who was a Jewish tax collector. But yet, now here's what you need to know about tax collectors. Jewish tax collectors were hated by everybody. The Romans hated them because they were Jews and they were second-class citizens. The Jews hated them because they were Jews and they were stealing from the Jews to give to the Romans. They, They thought they were kind of turncoats. So he was hated by everybody. But then as he was sitting at his tax collector's table, this guy walks by and looks at him and doesn't see him as a Roman tax collector, a Jewish tax collector working for the Romans and doesn't see him as a turncoat. Instead, he just looks at him and says, you, come follow me. And Matthew's life was radically changed. And then I look at other people in the Bible, and I, and I see Zacchaeus, who, who literally admits that he had stolen from his own people. And he said, Whatever. When, when he gets up in that tree, and Jesus says, you, come here, I'm coming to your house today. And when he says that, he comes down rejoicing, and he says, okay, listen, I'm going to pay back people everything plus what I've jacked from them. I'm going to give them back even more. His life was radically changed because he wasn't seen as someone who should be hated or judged or cast aside. He was seen as someone who had value. Grace gives you value. And then I think about the woman at the well in John chapter 4. The woman at the well who had been married five times was living with somebody that wasn't now her husband. Not that anybody around here happens, but I mean, I often wonder if that was about North Georgia. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said that. I'm from Texas. I also wonder if that was about East Texas. Jesus says, why are you talking to me? I'm a Samaritan, and you Jews don't talk to us. Why are you talking to me? She says, Jesus says to her, if you knew who I was, you'd ask me for living water. And after that conversation, she goes back into the town and she's no longer known as the town outcast who has to go to the well at noon when everybody else is already gone so she doesn't have to be seen or talked to anybody. She goes from being the hermit who doesn't want to be seen or talked to or, 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 or to uh, interact with people. She goes back into town saying, come see a man who showed me everything about me. Is this not the Messiah? Her life was radically radically changed and the one that gets me amped up and my blood pressure gets up and I get excited and I almost you know I had this I'm a recovering Baptist and so sometimes I I start to dance and I and I have to catch myself but the one that makes me want to dance is is when I think about Peter oh what are you talking about Grady Peter was a fisherman oh no 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 listen to me 
Peter looks at Jesus and said, Jesus, I will never deny you. He says, before the night's over, you're going to deny me three times. Peter denied Jesus three times. That's it. He's done. He's done. Peter is done. He has denied Jesus, turned his back. He's, he's done. And then you get to John chapter 20. John chapter 20. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. See, the cool thing is, the first two times, the word that Jesus uses is not, do you love me? It's, the, do you unconditionally love me? And, he, and Peter replies with, Lord, I love you like a brother. The, the word for Lord, I love you like a brother. And then the third time, Jesus changes his terminology and says, do you love me like a brother? Peter says, yes, Lord, you know I love you like a brother. And at that moment, Peter is restored. And we look and we get to Acts chapter 2, and the same guy who just, I mean, just literally a little over a month ago, turns his back on Jesus, is the same guy who stands on a stage, preaches, Stands in a crowd, because they didn't have stages back then. Stands in a crowd and preaches, and 3,000 people get saved. You mean to tell me that because that, that sin, well, here's what we do today. We say, well, a person, oh, Lord. A person can commit this sin, and God can still use them. A person can commit that sin, and God, but if he, if we make our own distinctions, don't we? Come on now. So my story is very similar to Gary's story. Those of you who know Gary's story, just pretend it's mine because it's pretty close. And, and here's what I would say to you. Just like Gary had some issues when he went through all his junk all those years ago, and people looked at him and said, you're done, this, that, and the other. God will never use you in ministry. Guess what? How many of y'all are thankful that God still uses broken vessels to bring people to him? I'm going to tell you, people think that, listen to me, listen to me. For those of us who, who have gone through the junk that Gary and I have gone through, we would have been more, more well-received in churches if we had committed murder and gone to the pen than the fact that we had an affair and lost our marriages. Can I just tell you something? That's jacked up. That's jacked up. Well, God just places such a high view on marriage that he says he hates divorce. Okay, God does say that he hates divorce, but can I also tell you, he kind of says not to murder and not to lie and not to steal and not to be envious. He also says something along the fact that we ought to have no other gods before him. But come on now, those, there's a lot of us who in, in churches have their gods of preference. Y'all know what I'm talking about, like the Heavenly Highway hymnal or the Red Book hymnal? or the Y'all don't know what a hymnal is, never mind. Um, a hymnal is an antiquated book that's used to prop up pews that have broken legs. <laughs> Hymnal. Now you know. The more you know. Knowledge is power. All that fun stuff. But Peter's life was radically changed to the point that he was used... He was used by God to bring over 3,000 people. He was used by God to be a pillar of, one of, of the early church. He was used by God in such a mighty way that his life was radically changed. Can I tell you that those of us who have received grace, grace changes our life. It doesn't give us the right to withhold it from somebody else. It doesn't give us the right to know where water is and see people starving of dehydration and refuse to give them water. We're not better. 
just because we've received grace. It radically changes their lives. This is my, the next point is probably my favorite. Grace often draws criticism from the religious. Jesus was already known at this point by being able, by, by being a person who had grace. And yet, the Pharisees and scribes come to him to try to trap him. They're coming to him to try to trap him. They don't like the fact that he's gracious and not upholding the law. Grace often draws criticism from the religious. Now, any time that I speak of religion in a negative light, someone will always come up to me and say something to the effect of, well, now what about James 127 that says, pure and undefiled religion is this, that you care for the widows and the orphans? To which I would reply something, something along these lines. Exactly. That's religion that does what it's supposed to do, not religion who sits around and says, I'm better than you because I don't sin the same way you do. There's a difference. Do you, are you tracking with me? Pure and undefiled religion is religion doing what it's supposed to do, not sitting around judging you. So grace often draws criticism from the religious. For example, I don't know if y'all heard about this, but I, I saw on the news and on that, um, that social media site that, that some of y'all are on, uh, uh, Facebook, um, that one, that there was a church here in Canton that was going to be aggressive and creative in their ways for trying to reach those impacted by the drug culture here in Canton. I don't know if y'all heard about that church or not. But my goodness, the criticism from the religious. My question, I'm that guy who says probably what I shouldn't say. And it makes me feel good here because Gary goes even further than I do so I can get away with it. But I'm that guy who probably says what I shouldn't say. And this is my thought. What are they doing to impact the culture? We're staying true to the Word of God. Really? Now, is that true to the part that says not to be a glutton? Is that true to the part that says not to be a gossip? Is that true to the part that says not to bear false witness? I, I'm, I'm confused. What part are, you, are they staying true to? Is that staying true to the part that says that we're to take the gospel to everyone regardless of the condition in which they find themselves? So to me, when I hear take the gospel to everyone, in and, and the Bible we like to talk in, in, in church culture, we like to quote revelations where, where it says, revelation, there's no S on the end of that word, by the way, revelation. We like to quote that passage that says that there will be people from every tongue, tribe, and nation around the throne of God praising Jesus in, in, in eternity. And we like to quote that as a missions verse. But here's my question. If there's going to be people of every tongue, tribe, and nation, there's going to be people of every socioeconomic status as well. So why in the world do we only go after the people who can help us meet our budget? Why in the world do we only go after the people whose lives aren't jacked up and dirty because we don't want to get our hands dirty? Why in the world do we only go after the people who look like us, smell like us, talk like us, walk like us? Why in the world do we only go after the people who we don't think are going to be be too far gone for Christ. Here's why. Because it's hard work. It's hard work. You know, sometimes you reach out to a, to a person and their life is so messed up and, and it's draining. What Gary didn't say last week, he said preaching doesn't bother him. It doesn't. It's the studying. What he probably didn't say was that dealing with y'all probably bothers him at times. He didn't pay me to say that either, by the way. I'm going to be honest with you. I've been there. You're dealing with people who their marriages are failing and you're trying to help them. You're dealing with people. And here's the thing. 
Their marriages are failing, you're trying to help them. They're addicted to drugs, you're trying to help them. They don't have any clue how to spend money, and you're trying to help them with their finances. They don't have any clue, and you're trying to help them. And I don't know if y'all have known this about people or not. We're stubborn. Like, okay, um, so you don't have the money to pay your power bill again this month. Well, okay, um, you ate out five nights last week. Like, try cooking at home. I know, but that's just so difficult. It takes so much work. Listen, ramen noodles are 27 cents a, a, a thing. And you can eat them, like, once every other day because they don't digest for seven years anyway. Just hang on to them for a while, right? My point is, people don't want to change. Like, I know, but I like eating. I like hanging out with my friends. Listen, if you don't have the money, you don't have the money. Right? And so what we do is we have this tendency to not want to invest in those who are different than us because it takes work. But grace draws criticism from the religious. I love it. A lot of churches have as their mission statement, love God, love people. That sounds so unique, doesn't it? What's your mission statement? Well, our mission statement is to love God and love people. Awesome. What does that look like? Well, I think that Action Church says something like, love God, love people, and it goes a step further and says what? Take action. In other words, put feet to your prayers. Put feet and go out and love people. When I hear Gary talk about the number of families that Action Church serves throughout the year, when I hear, when I hear Gary talk about the number of book bags that are given out for school, and when I hear about the number of Christmases that are provided for and Thanksgiving dinners that are provided for and the fact that you guys have a warming shelter where homeless people can come and stay. Can I just be real for a minute? You know what most churches would say? We don't want those people in our church. That's our church. We paid for that. Or we're paying for that. Okay, time out. When the church exists more... Oh, snap. When the church exists more for the people who are in the church than it does for those who need the church and who need the God of the church, the Jesus of the church, then guys, we've got our priorities all jacked up and we need to fall on our face before a holy God and repent. We need to repent. So listen, grace will draw criticism from the religious. One of the things that I've learned over the last years, I've gone through the junk in my life, is I just don't care anymore. I just don't care. I'm going to go do what I need to do and do the right thing. I don't care. So if that means that I go up and I talk to this, good, this dude who smells like he slept in his own urine for three days, but, but I feel like he needs to hear something or I can help him out or give him a meal or I can share the gospel with him, I'm going to go talk to the dude that looks like he's slept in his own urine for three days. Well, don't you care what people are going to think about that? How they're going to think about you? They might think you're homeless too. Can I be? I am. I drive an 18-wheeler. My ex-wife kicked me out a year ago this week. You know what? I drive an 18-wheeler. You know where I live? In the cab of my truck. Am I too proud? Nope. You know why? Because my kids still have a roof over their head. My kids still have food to put in their belly. So if that means i got to drive a truck all over the country, you know what I'm going to do? Drive that truck, baby. Shifting gears and hauling them beers. That's what I'm talking about. You know why? Because at the end of the day... I don't care what someone else thinks about me. Because the one who I'm supposed to please, the Father, listen to this, has already been pleased not because of me, but because of Christ in me. I have all the worth I'm ever going to have, and it's invaluable, and I'm accepted just like I am because 
he was condemned. So criticize away. While they criticize, I'm going to keep doing God's work. You know what I've discovered? Truck drivers need Jesus. Don't know if y'all knew that or not. Truck drivers have an amazing ability to be all over the country and to meet all kinds of people and to spread hope and a little bit of cheer and a little bit of life to people we meet all over the place. So maybe we can do more by just living life and not worrying about being so religious. See, the religious people in this text, they thought that by holding all the law, they were going to get more favor with God. They thought they were going to be better than the other people who didn't, with, who didn't uphold the law. I, I promise you, man, stuff in the Bible could parallel the 21st century so well, right? Because, you know, there are people in churches right now that are dressed a certain way in their churches. They got their coat and their tie on, and they got their dresses on, their finest on. They say, well, you know, I, I, I'm going to worship, and so I should dress up, and I shouldn't just go as I am. Okay, so you should enter the building being fake. Did he just say that? He did say that. Enter the building being fake. So let's start the day off with pretentiousness so that when the, when the word is preached and proclaimed, we can't really focus on that because we're too busy trying to figure out why this tie is choking me or why I'm wearing these heels that I can't hardly walk in because I'm supposed to dress up. to go, Not me wearing heels, by the way. Um, someone sent me a video this week of a truck driver at a truck stop a male truck driver walking across the fuel island with a t-shirt and a skirt and high heels on and he obviously had not practiced in his heels and asked me when I, they were going to see me in something like that and I won't exactly repeat what I told them but it had something to do about a snowstorm some of y'all got that you're like yep I've used that phrase before too Grace often draws the criticism of religious, but it shouldn't keep us from doing what we're supposed to do and extending grace because it didn't keep Christ from extending grace to us. And then lastly, often grace is most extended by those who understand what they have received. That's a nice way of saying this. Typically, those of us whose life was the most jacked up or the most willing and we've received grace are the most willing to extend grace to other people. That's what that means. I, here, here's the reality. Let me let me tell you about this guy in the Bible. There was this guy who used to be a group of the who used to be one of the Pharisees. In fact, the Bible puts it this way: that concerning zeal, there was no one more zealous than he was. The Bible goes on a little bit further. It says, in fact, I thought that the church was against the will of God, and so I persecuted the church. In fact. He was the one who held the coats for the stoning of the first martyr. He was the guy who held their coats, didn't get his hands dirty doing it, but he held the coats, meaning he approved of the stoning of Stephen. His name was Saul. And then something happened to Saul. He had received permission and request to go and capture those who were believers, and he was on his way to Damascus to do that. He had a face-to-face -face encounter with Jesus. And Saul's life and his name were forever changed. And Saul went from being a guy who was so zealous for being a Hebrew to being the missionary to the Gentiles. See, here's the thing. The, the Hebrews thought they were better than the sinners, the Gentiles. Now, isn't it crazy that sometimes those of us in church who've been in church a long time, those of us who are 
Christians, those of us who are in church, isn't it funny how we think we're better at times than those who aren't like the homeless? Oh, snap. Like the drug user. Oh, snap. Like the prostitute. Oh, don't, isn't that funny that we think we're better? And here's what happens. Paul would have been that, in that category. He would have thought that he was the stuff. I know some of y'all thought I was going to say another four-letter word. And then what happened? Paul's the guy who goes out to the very people that he would have been brought up his entire life thinking he was better than, and he extends grace to, the, to those people. And he says, listen, he says, I want to be the missionary of the Gentiles. I'm going to tell them how they can know Christ. I'm going to extend grace to them. And that's why we see in Acts chapter 17, his sermon at Mars Hill, he says, listen, men of Athens, I see that you are very religious because as I was walking through your city, I saw that there were all these altars. In fact, there was even one that was inscribed to an unknown God. So that which you're worshiping in ignorance, let me proclaim him to you. And he began to preach Jesus to them. And he said, this God made heaven and earth. And he began to preach to them. And Paul was arrested and he was beaten and he was taken before the king. And he was placed before King Agrippa. And when going before Agrippa, he didn't plead for his own life. Instead, he just told him about Jesus. He extended grace to the very man who wanted to see him dead. Can I be honest that when we've received grace and we understand what we've received, Paul understood what he received. That's why in Romans he writes that his heart's desire and prayer for his countrymen, the other Israelites, is that they would come to know Christ. In fact, he, he would give up his own salvation if they could know Christ. He was extending grace because he knew what it was to receive grace. Those of us who have hit rock bottom, we know what it's like to receive grace and to meet Jesus and to see that there's life and hope and a future. We know what it means to know that that's not the end for us, that there's a better day coming. We know what it means, and we're the ones who are, ought to be the most excited to extend grace. The problem is, all snap. We let the religious get inside our head. Hear me. When you've been at the bottom, you meet Jesus, you, you've received grace, man, you want to tell everybody. Right? But then what happens? You get in church and the church tells you, we don't act like that here. We don't dress like that. We don't talk like that. Y'all been there? Surely I'm not the only person who has ever experienced these things. See, some people think that I say what I say because I think I was burned by a church. No, no, no. I don't think I was burned by a church. I'll be the first to own up. I, I screwed up. Okay? But I can tell you this. I've seen a bunch of churches burn people that I tried to reach out to. I can tell you this. I sat in a church business meeting one time that, and, and saw a church split over whether or not, y'all, I'm 38, so y'all can do the math. This hadn't been that long ago. I sat in a church one time as a child when I was about... 10, 11, 12, and that range, and saw a church split because the old people didn't think that we should baptize the black kids that were getting on the church bus coming to church and learning about Jesus. They could hear about Jesus, and we could count them in our numbers that we reported every week. We just couldn't baptize them. Are you thinking, kidding me? I've been in churches where I've seen people reach out to that unwed mother, and when they reach out to the unwed mother... And there's other people over here who are murmuring and bickering and complaining and saying, well, we're just rewarding her for doing what she shouldn't have been doing. Sit down, Sally. That's what I want to say. Hey, Sally, we're rewarding you for having blue hair. Stop. Right? We're rewarding you because we listen to you. No, that, that lady with... Can I... Pro there's not an unwed mother on the planet who thinks that a church helping her is 
rewarding her for her behavior. She's trying to figure out how she's going to make it. That's all she's trying to figure out. Her world is upside down, and all she wants to know is, how in the world am I going to take care of me and this new life? The church doesn't get the right to scream that abortion's wrong and do nothing to help unwed, unplanned pregnancies. We don't get the right. We don't get the right to scream about the unbiblical aspect of homosexual marriage and do nothing to engage that culture. We don't get the right. Yeah, we do. We speak on behalf of Jesus. And can I tell you where Jesus would be? I'm going to tell you right now, Jesus would walk straight through midtown Atlanta and he'd be hanging out and having a talk with them. He'd be... The place that we see Jesus get angry in Scripture, by the way, is not with the sinners and the tax collectors. It's in the church. It's in the church because they made it about themselves and not about Him. And so when we realize what we have, when we understand what we've received, and what I mean by that is this, just like this woman was dead, we were dead in our trespasses and sins with no hope and no future. And then all of a sudden we met Christ. We had a hope and we had a future and we had life. Can I tell you that we have a responsibility to extend grace even to people who are hard to love. Y'all know some people who are hard to love. You're thinking about somebody right now and if it's your husband, you should probably stop. (laughs) It may be true, but you should stop. You know there are some people who are hard loving. It's our responsibility to extend grace because can I be honest with you? If I look in the mirror, the man I see looking back, I know it was hard for Jesus to love him sometimes. A lot of times. Am I the only person who doesn't roll out of bed every morning saying, Woo, bless Jesus, it's a good day, praise the Lord, this is the day the Lord has made, I will rejoice and be glad in it. Am I the only person who doesn't do that? Y'all want to know how my day typically goes? Something like this. Oh my goodness, my back's killing me. Oh, we said air conditioner worked. I got to pull what today? And then it typically gets worse from there. Something to the effect of this. That moron's got to know I can't stop 80,000 pounds on a dime. I'm pulling oversized loads right now, so let's, let's quit lying. I can't stop 95,000 pounds on a dime. I'm 60 feet long. I tried to make a right turn last week, and this dude in a Mercedes pulled... I'm talking about his last... His back tire was past the white line for the turn lane. And I had to make a right turn. Funny thing happened. I didn't say, Lord, bless this fellow. <laughs> he just decided that... The, he decided that my international would not make a very good horn, hood ornament and backed up. It's crazy how that works if you just turn it right at him. They either move or they wet themselves. Either one works for me. I'm fine with either. Both. See what I'm saying? I'm not always easy to love. You know what I mean? But when we realize what we have received, it radically changes our life. That's why Paul said, I count all things as lost. In Philippians chapter 3, Paul goes and he gives his, his background, if you will, his biography, if you will, about the guy that he was. And he says, I count all of that as loss. Why? Because he knew what he had 
and he was extending grace to others. Can I tell you that Action Church, the future for Action Church should be bright, and Gary didn't pay me to say that either, but listen, one of the things that I love about coming here and being here is that, like I mentioned earlier, I don't get judged for how I look, what I smell like, what I'm wearing. I don't get judged for my sin. I don't get judged for those things. Instead, I get pointed to Jesus. I get pointed to Jesus. And that's what I love. Action Church, man, there's a community. I I don't know Canton that well, I'll be honest with you. Like, for example, here's what I know about Canton. I know that when I come from Cedartown, I come down this road up here, and I turn. And if I come from Atlanta, I come down this road up here, somewhere, and I turn. That's about all I know about Canton. That's it. But I can tell you this. Canton's not any different than any other town in America. There are people who are hurting. There are people who are in poverty. There are people who are jacked up and they're looking for hope. And that there's a church right here. Not that it's the only one, but there's a church right here who will love those people, reach those people, feed those people, serve those people, and point those people to where they can have life and have hope. And that's why I say the future for Action Church is bright and there's hope for the future. Man, when I... When I, I heard someone say to me one time in a church not too long ago, I teach at a school, I work at a school where I have to go to church with them I, or where I have to go to school and work with them. I don't want to go to church with them. Speaking of those of a different ethnicity. Can I tell you something? If you don't like people of different ethnicity, heaven's going to be a pretty jacked up, boring place for you. I, mean, I don't know about y'all. I like all kinds of ethnicity. So you rednecks? We're good. Those of you who aren't rednecks, I like hip-hop too. And I love tacos. What else can there be, right? My point is this. We ought to extend grace even when it's hard. It's crazy. The world would tell us that if someone, that grace and justice don't coincide together. The world would tell us that they don't coincide together. But we see in Scripture that Jesus met the requirement for justice, and now he extends grace. Our lives have been changed by it. And as a result, we ought to extend it to others. Is it going to be easy? Nope. Is it going to be fun? Not always. It's easy to love people like us, isn't it? You ever noticed? How many of y'all have ever been to a bar? No, don't raise your hands yet. Um, I saw him. It was like, let me finish. I was there last night. Okay, good. Um, how many of you have ever been to a bar and you connected with somebody a- a- sitting there at the bar and your story was similar? Like, we-, we do that and we connect with people who are like us, right? Those people are easy to connect with. But if you come up to me and you tell me your story and it's nothing that I've ever experienced, it's not going to be as easy for me to connect with that. Like, if you come up and say, hey, I totally understand about you breaking your leg because I had a car wreck. I'm going to look at you and be like, I mean, I don't, I don't really see the correlation. It's going to be a little harder to see that, right? But we can still extend grace. It just takes a little more work on our part. Listen, it was not easy for Christ to extend grace to us because I just want you all to know something. It took some work on his part. When you read the story of Christ going to the cross, the arrest, the mock trial, and him going, the beating and him going to the cross, that wasn't easy. But he did that to pay the penalty so that he could extend grace to us and so that we could be restored to the Father. We could be restored. Isn't that what we all long for within us is to have that right relationship with the Father? And that's what people who are out here hurting long for as well. Let's pray.